Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And the conversation with Jerry West was, you know, you know, I'm the guy that picked Kobe, right? <laughs> he told like, that to you, Drew. Drew, he said yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome to Showtime with Coop. Our guest today, and I'm really, really excited about him because I thought I would really, truly get to meet a player uh, and a young man that was from back east that was born and raised. And and uh, I could really talk to someone about living back because I never lived back there. I've always been to visit. But as I was doing my homework, Drew Gooden is from California. Drew, you never told me that. How are you doing, Man, sir? <laughs> hey, I'm from I'm from a different part of California. It's called Oakland. <laughs> Isn't that where OJ's from? <laughs> He's from San Francisco. Yeah, OJ Scissor from San Francisco. But you know, you know, you you know the cloth. You know the you know the, the bloodline of Oakland. But uh, truly, I Drew didn't know that. Been doing my homework on you. Uh, I've always respected you as a as a player. Uh, obviously, I didn't get a chance to play against you, but I've always respected your game. And I grew to really respect you more as a man, Drew, because again, we had an opportunity to play in the big three, and we'll touch on that a little later on. But that's when, you know, you really get to know people and get to know how they function and how they think. And uh, I'm impressed with you, Drew. I really, really like you as a person, man. I just want to get that out there first. AT, Thank you, Coop. Yeah, no, I, it's, and it's funny for me, um, Drew, because when, when Coop said we're going to be doing this interview, I was like, oh, well, this is great because he's a Jayhawk. <laughs> so we get to really mix it up. So, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, Coop went to New Mexico. What does he know about Kansas basketball? I, I didn't even know what college Coop went to. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. <laughs> okay. First time I seen Coop, he had a Lakers uniform on. <laughs> But tell me what it was like to get recruited by Roy Williams, um, you know, from Oakland, and and what why you know why go to Kansas from being from Oakland? Well, you know, uh, Roy, he did a great job not only recruiting me as a as a young kid at the time. He did a great job recruiting my family, uh, my parents, and I think at that time, uh, my father, he was always in my life as a as a young man early on in my my life that he wanted somebody that was a father figure that they knew that was going to be took the same responsibility as he did as a father mm-hmm. um, and myself as his son. Um, he wanted to find a coach that would, uh, you know, have those same values. And Roy Williams did a great job of telling me, basically, look, he came into my house. Uh, and now, granted, I had my top five schools were Duke, Kansas, North Carolina, Michigan, and UConn. And my first visit, was to Kansas and I was just blown away, but it was first an in-house visit where I actually got to see Roy Williams. And in that visit, he, uh, he basically explained to me, listen, I'm not going to promise you a, a starting position. Everything you have, you're going to earn, you're going to have to work for when you come here. So if you're, if you're that type of person, and I, I think you are, you Kansas is the right school for you. So it was like reverse psych- psychology because all the other schools are telling me, Hey man, you're a one and done. You know, let's get this. What do you need to get this done? You know what I'm saying? We'll make this right. You know, they were catering to me. Do you want to start? What position do you play? I was like, I, I think I'm a shooting guard. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, just, you know, they were just giving me, just, you know, telling me everything I want to hear. And Roy totally went off the cusp and uh, and threw a curveball and it worked. And when I say it was one of the best decisions I made in my life, because I learned a lot outside of my household. You know, my father could only provide to do what he can do. And uh, Roy Williams just took it to another step for me as a man growing up. 
Hey, uh, Drew, so you said your father was actively involved in your recruiting process. Did he go down there with you and all that? Or he kind of like let no, you know? Yeah, no, he didn't. Uh, we couldn't afford uh, at the time for my father to really make too many moves. So I was actually coming back home with stories. I remember the first time uh, it was ABCD camp. I don't know if you guys remember AD, ABCD camp. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. And that's, you know, that's the big notorious camp where Tracy McGrady was unheard of and came out number one in the country and went out of high school to the pros, the infamous LeBron James, Lenny Cook battles. Uh, I mean, Sonny Vaccaro. Sonny, Sonny Vaccaro, who was the godfather of basketball and the, and the shoe business at the time, uh, ran that. It was a big, big event. And I was a guy coming from Oakland, California, Coop, not too much money in my pocket, uh, but with a dream of not coming back to Oakland. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So when I got to ABCD camp, I kind of separated myself from that point going forward. And I remember my dad, calling me up and he's like uh what are you doing out there in uh in new jersey at that camp and i said uh, i'm playing okay he said not only are you, are you playing okay you're on the cover of usa today right now wow. <laughs> and i and I, I said what i thought usa today was a local paper at that time i, didn't, <laughs> I thought that I, I thought that was just every a, a paper everybody got in oakland you know what i'm saying <laughs> so it was that's when i kind of started to see the you know, fruits and everything started to to kind of uh you know, it come to life. And then that's where I'm saying my dad was heavily involved because once he started seeing me and guiding me, you know, my dad played professional basketball overseas, Coop in Finland. Um, he had opportunities to play, uh, made, I think he made a couple cuts for the Warriors, but then, you know, ended up eventually having to go, go find a job. So he always had a dream of, of me going to the NBA and, mm. you know, is def definitely a big part of my life uh, in that process. So Drew, so he had that dream that he, uh, push that on you or you just wanted to do that because you like, most of young men want to follow what their dads do that's what it was I just wanted to do everything my dad did he was a construction worker you know I, I love building things and be on a construction site with him and, and fixing stuff and wearing a tool built it's like whatever he did he plays the piano he played in a band I enjoyed playing the piano uh, and he loved basketball you know my pops became a, a rugged street baller you know he had a he had a chip on his shoulder, so, you know, he, he let all his frustrations and not making it in life on the, on the streets and in the playgrounds, and I was on the sideline having to watch all these battles. I mean, it was something out of – just like he got game, you know, those those infamous Venice Beach basketball games. You know, we got that there in Oakland, too. So I had to grow up around that, and a, and he did everything in his power to make sure that I had – I went to school. I mean, my dad took me to school and dropped – he took me to school and picked me up from school every day until my senior year of high school, and I was like, hey, Dad. Dropped me off a couple blocks away from the schoolhouse. <laughs> uh, first of all, I'm popular now. I can't have them see me pull up in this hoopsie, first of all. <laughs> but going back at it, you realize a lot of the, my peers didn't have that, you know, growing up. And I think that helped me separate myself going on, not only just into the NBA and college, but in life uh, as well. So he's definitely a big part of my, my success. What was, Roy Williams, what was Roy Williams like as a coach? I mean, obviously you described him in recruiting, and that speaks to him. But just give us some insights into Roy as a coach and, and you know, his philosophy and what he taught you. you listen, you have to earn everything. Um, and he was quick to, he was quick to look the other way if you weren't on board and bought, bought into the program. And, mm. you know, it was tough. It was rough for me my freshman year. I'll tell you what, uh, I actually had a conversation with Roy Williams my, my freshman year. And about transferring because uh, going back to that conversation we had in my house, uh, you told me I needed to work for everything uh, to whatever, whatever minute I got, I had to work for. And I'm playing 19 minutes a game. And, uh, you know, I was the second leading scorer and the leading re rebounder, but I wasn't a starter. And then it got to a point to where it, it kind of, I was sticking out like, a, like this guy can really play. I, I don't know how much basketball you watched me my freshman year. But my freshman year, I was I was a little head and shoulders talent-wise uh, above my peers that were on that team at that time. But as far as basketball, IQ, X's and O's, I didn't have that at the time. So that mm -hmm. was kind of keeping me from really cracking that that starting uh, position. Um, but I told Roy, I, I got frustrated one game. We were in Iowa. I had six points. It was a TV game. All my friends back home watching me play. I threw on the, 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 Jordan, uh, the blue Jordan uh, edition ones on. Uh, I, I had I had the whole outfit for the TV game and started off. I hit my first three shots. I missed a assignment on a trap. I never forget. He called thirty two. It was a trap in the corner. And I missed that assignment, and he just he told a, a, one of the walk ons 
hey, go get Drew. I forgot who it was at the time. I think uh, Jeff Carey. He said, hey, go get Drew. And I, he benched me in that first half, and I didn't play the rest of the game on national TV. Wow. And I and I was that was the first time I cried after a basketball game. <laughs> I literally had tears in my eyes like, yo, this is not right. Like, I was supposed to get off. I felt like I was on pace for like 30 points, and we was going to get the win. And we lost. Not only did – not only did he bench me, we lost the game against Iowa, and I was pissed. I was pissed. So I remember Neil Doherty, RIP, was uh, who actually helped recruit me to go to Kansas uh, that passed away not too long ago. Um, he, uh, he he set me down. He's like, Drew, th- this is, these are the humps that you have to get over because I literally had the conversation with Roy Williams, like, I'm out of here. I'm going to Oregon State. I'm going to go average 30 points, and I'm going to the NBA. And that, that was my playing my view at that time, not really thinking the situation. I was just acting on more of a frustration. But Roy Williams uh, got on his knees, man, got on his knees, got, started praying. I'm in a praying position. It was like, Drew, do not give up on me. And you know what? I did not give up on that man. And, and here we are 20 years later. And, Drew, don't you think that type of situation, we're benching you there, and at the moment as young players and up-and-coming superstars in our head. We think that the world is cruel, but that little moment, don't you think that helped you as you go to the NBA, helped you understand the game of basketball from just the athletic standpoint to the true essence of basketball IQ? I think from right there, that actually taught me how valuable each possession is out there for this school and for my coach, you know, and and for myself and, and how important it was. It wasn't like high school. That was my first time where, you know, I was a star on my high school team where I could blow a misassignment or whatever. I'm going to make up for it with athletic ability. I had to condition my mind my mind early, and Roy Williams did a great job training me. That was more like, you're not bigger than this team. Go sit over there and figure it out. And when I got that opportunity again, it was no looking back. So he knew how to instill hunger and desire. And he's, he, he, he loved me as a player because he knew what type of guy I was, how competitive I was. I wanted to win just as much as he did. And you know what? If you go on Roy Williams' office, they always tell me it's only two pitchers in there, or actually three, Michael Jordan, Dean Smith, and Drew Gooden. So. <laughs> the legend, Drew, you've arrived. <laughs> so, Drew, you guys go 24 and 10 your freshman year. Your uh, sophomore year, you go 33 and 4, 16 0 in the Big 12. I mean, 16 and 0 in the Big 12. And is what decided to make you say, hey, I'm ready to go to the NBA? Uh, Roy Williams, uh, I'm, these are great questions because each question is circling back to those where we left off on the last one. I mean, when that area where Roy Williams got on his knees and told me to to not transfer and go to Oregon State or wherever I, I was thinking about looking, um, he had that same conversation with me three years later, excuse me, two years later, my junior year, and uh, and he said, Drew, uh, in that same area, right right next to the Raptors, uh, where Will, Will Chamberlain, Danny Manning's jerseys retired, Lynette Woodard, I mean, all the Kansas greats are up there, JoJo White. He walked me up there and he said, uh, you know, I'm proud to say, son, that uh, you are the national basketball, uh, NCAA national basketball player of the year. And with that being said, your jersey goes up right there next to Will and Danny Manning. And, and we had that conversation. And after that, he said, and that also means that I think it's it's your time to go ahead and take the next step in your you know in this game of basketball. So I had a I had a, a blessing of not only my jersey going in those Raptors in the Allen Fieldhouse, but also the blessing of you know Roy Williams uh, say it's time for you to go. You done did your job. That was my junior year. And Drew, you didn't cry. Uh, I didn't cry. <laughs> now me, I, I would have been crying, and cry. then that's what I, I, did, I didn't. I didn't cry. Hey. Hey, I, I would. It was some crying. Coop, you must be psychic because it was some crying going on in that first conversation yeah. that we had <laughs> when Roy was on his knees, but it wasn't me crying. <laughs> so, 2002, Drew, you become the first pick, fourth overall pick in the first round for the Memphis Grizzlies. What did you think? Had you arrived? Did you think you were going to blow it up? What was your Absolutely. thought? Absolutely. I had, I had a lot of confidence, Coop, coming in. Um, if I didn't have a 20-plus 10-point game, uh, I feel like it was a bad game. Uh, if we didn't, if we didn't win the basketball game, I felt like I had a bad game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got drafted to the Memphis Grizzlies, and, and at the time, they, you know, they had 
pre, two, two years previously of, of me arriving at a draft of Stromal Swift, who was a phenomenal athlete player, at, the number, yeah. at the number two pick. And then you had Pau Gasol, who came in the year before me as the number three pick. And we all know the type of career Pau Gasol has had. And then the following year, Jerry West, uh, who you know quite well, picked me uh, as wow. the fourth pick. Uh, and, and the conversation with Jerry West was, you know, you know I'm the guy that picked Kobe, right? <laughs> he told like, that to you, Drew. Drew, he said yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as he did, as he did. I didn't know at the time. You know, I'm, you got to think, Coop. I was 20 years old. Didn't know anything about the business of basketball. I didn't know what a general manager was. I knew what a coach and basketball players were. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so you got to think at this time, I'm only 20 years old and not really, you know, the dad is not out there as much as it is now for these young guys and going there and talking to Jerry West. I knew who he was, uh-huh. but I did not, but I did not know he drafted Kobe Bryant. So it was funny. I mean, he's, you know, Jerry's a straight shooter and out of all, you know, I had five, five visits. I had the Chicago Bulls, Houston Rockets had the number one pick, um, the Golden State Warriors, and the Memphis Grizzlies. And I actually worked out for the Warriors twice because they I did a shooting drill and I shot the ball so well they thought it was a fluke, so they had to bring me in again. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, uh, to get back to the Memphis Grizzlies situation, my rookie year, once again, I had to go back and earn everything all over. I felt like it was Kansas all over again. And, and when the smoke cleared, I didn't start at the four because we were log jammed. But I started at the three. <laughs> oh, dude, you know what? Listen, when you get to the NBA, it's about that. <laughs> I got here, but you know what? And people see it like that, but yeah. they don't understand as a player, yes, the money is good, but you want to play. You want to do what you've been doing Absolutely. your life. And I want to start. I want to yeah. be a fa- I'm the fourth pick. I mean, it, Jerry West has drafted me. And the night before the before uh, I worked out, actually, for Memphis, I want to get back to where I said Jerry West is a straight shooter. He said uh, – I just did the, the interview. We had a nice dinner at a local restaurant there in Memphis. And, and then he said, hey, Drew, I, I'm going to tell you like this. Uh, do you want to work out tomorrow? I was all like, do I want to work out tomorrow? Yeah, I'm here for the pre-draft workout. Like, I thought I was – the last three teams I went to go work out for, I worked out for it because I flew into town. He said, if you don't want to work out tomorrow, you don't have to. If you're available at the number four pick, I'm taking you. Wow. Straight, straight up like that. And I had never had a conversation during that time. No other GM was saying that at all. They were like, oh, we, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. And then Jerry was saying, if you're available at four, we're taking you. Not only did I uh, – I was like, wow, I don't have to work out. I was like, bro, I'm going to go work out tomorrow, and I'm going to destroy this workout tomorrow. Right. <laughs> you you know, know that's, how Jerry, that's how Jerry is, is that uh, Jerry – doesn't play around the bush, and he he knows what he wants. And again, the one thing that he's done with the Lakers over the years is built those organizations. He leaves, he goes to Golden State, fix that team up, and then he went down to Memphis, and he and he does that. So Jerry has always been in his mind. He already has a set that type of player he wants, and that's why I say, Drew, you could I I could have played alongside of you, man. I know you always tell me that, Coop. You know you like the third person that tells me. That uh, man, you remind me of James Worthy. Roy Williams used to tell me that all the time. Like, you you, you kind of play like him, and the mannerism. I was like, okay. I never got a chance to meet uh, James Worthy though. Uh, I'm gonna make that happen. I'm gonna make that yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You out here, but uh, listen, dude. One more a quick question for me, and then Ari's gonna ask you one. Um, your dad was a hard nosed guy. You said that he played that street basketball. Do you think some of that developed in you and helped you get to the NBA, that toughness? I think a combination of that. Well, no, when I got to Kansas, I was soft. I mean, my dad trained me to be a, you know, a, a model citizen, you know. Mm-hmm. But deep down inside, I had that pit bull in me. I just didn't know at the time. Roy Williams was the guy that kind of brought got that, that out. pit bull, brought that out of me. Um, and not only me, you got to remember Nick Collison and Kurt Heinrich, yeah, uh, which had tremendous NBA careers. We all came in as freshmen together, mm-hmm. and that that class is like arguably one of Roy Williams' best classes he ever had. Not only in Kansas, but probably in uh, North Carolina as well. And he put something all three of us, man, that just transferred over the next fourteen to fifteen years of our NBA playing careers. Because think about it, Nick Collison. He's a great player, but what actually kept Nick Collison in the, in the league for 15 years? Said, it, was all, 
It was that stuff that Roy Williams did for us. I mean, Kurt Heinrich, man, always the underdog. How did he play 14 years in the NBA? Roy Williams. And I and I look back at me, man, I played four different positions in the NBA. My last position was a clapping five on the bench. Uh, Roy Williams put that in me, man, where we just don't fight and don't give up. So it's a combination of my father and Roy, I, I would say. Obviously, you know, you grew up in Oakland. Did you grow up a Lakers fan, though? Because I know I'm sure at that time a lot of people were of Lakers course, fans. Of course, of course, of course, man. Listen, man, the Warriors, the Warriors, <laughs> they, had, they, had, they, had a, they had a stretch. The run TMC stretch when I, in my era, who I know in the late 70s they had a, they had their run, too, you know, Rick Beery and all those guys. Well, I know that little run they had, run DMC and all that. That was like, We went through that. <laughs> uh-huh, and that's what I'm saying. So, like, in Cali, this is how it go. Whatever team comes out on top, whether it's the Clippers, Lakers, Sac, Warriors, whoever come out on top, that whole state is going to root for, going yeah. for. That's that's one thing about Cali. So it was a lot of uh, years I had to root for the Lakers, even <laughs> when I was in, in the NBA playing, <laughs> playing, playing, with, playing with different teams. I had to uh, be a Lakers fan. No, uh, talk about the numbers you wore. That was interesting to me is that you wore number zero, you wore number nine, and then you put them together and wore 90 when you was at Washington. Why? Okay, so zero. Um, I, I was one of the first players in college to wear zero and uh, was the first zero in the Raptors in uh, in Kansas. So was that by design? You wanted that to happen? I mean, I you... wanted to be different. I wanted to be different, man. Yeah. I just wanted to be different. So we we figure out a way. For and not to double zero. 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 Uh, yeah, exactly. So that it was new. It was an odd number at the time. It was like, hold on, we've never seen that number in basketball before. Zero. <laughs> and I was like, I love it. I love it. It looks I'm I'm different. The number's different. Let's get it cracking. You know, I love I love the number zero and it was different. And um that uh correlated over into the NBA where I was zero my first my first two years. Actually my first year I was zero. My second year I got traded. And I was in Orlando. Actually, my first year I got traded, I was in Orlando. And a guy had double zero. And you can't have a zero and a double zero on the same team. Yeah. So I'm like, yo, okay, now I got to get another another number. So what does I do? You know, what do I do? Drew good it. How does he think? Well, you know what? Give me number nine because it kind of looked like a zero. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I, 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 just say, I just need something that's singular, that's kind of oval shape. You know what I'm saying? And I said, just give me nine, man. Just give me number nine. So I got number nine the rest of that year. Then I go to Cleveland. Now I'm like, okay, I finally get to get my number back. I get to get zero back. Jeff McGinnis, he has number zero. But for Cleveland, I'm like, Jeff, I gave you this amount of this much amount of money for it. He don't pick up. Jeff, I give you this amount of money for it. He don't pick up. I don't see Jeff McGinnis till training camp. I was like, man, why did you ask your phone? He said, because they already turned the jerseys number numbers in, and I knew what you wanted. <laughs> <I was like, laughs> Because everybody knew me at zero, so that's where the ninety came into play. So I said, you know what, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna pick a number that never has never been worn in NBA history. So I said, you know what, I'm gonna put that nine and that zero and just put it together, and got number ninety. Drew, you so, are different. You are a different brother. <laughs> so you know. what was what was LeBron like early on? I mean, you mentioned Cleveland. You were there when LeBron, you know, got going in Cleveland. Yeah. Well, LeBron, you gotta. You got to remember, LeBron James played uh, for the Oakland uh, Slamming Jam Soldiers, which was an a- a AU team that I sponsored um, early on in my career. And I always knew about LeBron James since he was 15 years old, had conversations with him while he was still in high school, um, went to a lot of vast majority of all his AAU games because, you know, I was the NBA guy. I was the NBA guy behind the AAU team. So I, having an opportunity to fast forward, uh, you know, the play when it was, a, was like, what is this? Because I remember when he was 15 years old, Calvin Andrews, who uh, is now Aaron Gordon's agent, was my agent at the time and Carmelo agent at the time. He was my AU coach uh, when I was in AAU. Calvin Andrews said, uh, you want to go see the best basketball player to ever touch a ball? I said, where at? He said, go over there in gym five. I forgot what it was. That. He said, go to gym five go to gym five and I'm watching LeBron James play at 15 years old. Cause we're trying to recruit him to come to soldiers. And I'm like, he's not doing anything special. He's masterclass lets you learn from the best with exclusive access to online classes taught by masters of their craft. 
You can learn how to develop your ball handling skills to shake that defender with Steph Curry. Improve your backstroke on the tennis court from Serena Williams. Or learn some piano techniques from the man himself, Herbie Hancock. With over 75 different instructors across tons of categories, there's literally something for everyone. And I'm watching LeBron James play at 15 years old because we're trying to recruit him to come to Soldiers. And I'm like, he's not doing anything special. He's he's just making the regular pass. And, well, actually, that is the right pass. And he's rebounding. His team is up 20. Uh, he, what he had a triple double. It didn't look like he had a. Tri- he, it didn't look like he had a triple double. Like it didn't. It was nothing flashy. It was just all like I'm gonna win this game. It's straight to work. And I was like, nah, I don't think he's the best player in the world. Go over there to gym one and go look at that boy Chris Duhon. He just made seven threes in a row. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, because hey, Chris Duhon was like supposed to be like one of the top guys of the country at the time. Right. I was like, he's not better than Chris Duhon. He's not better than Chris Duhon. <laughs> and then slowly but short, slowly but surely, I got to see him in different a couple of other tournaments. We had a tournament at Cal Berkeley. He came and played at, and we were down twenty points. And how he willed the team together, and we brought I think we brought him and and uh, uh, Drew Bryce off the bench because we also had him. That was his point guard in high school. We had brought them off the bench. I say, hey, just because y'all who y'all are, you still got to come off the bench for the soldiers. LeBron James came off the bench. Wow. Single handed single handedly brought our AAU team back down twenty points to win the championship, get MVP. And I'm like, okay, I'm starting to see some type of different like he's different. Then the T V games is televised, his high school games. I'm like, okay, he's making those strides and he is the talk of the town. By the time I got to him in Cleveland, man, Scott Williams who played with Michael Jordan was like, I asked him, I said, yo, is he better than Michael Jordan? Uh, like right now at this age or like, I mean, like a 23 year old Michael Jordan, like a 24 year old Michael Jordan. He's like, yes. I said, how about like a 25, 26 Michael Jordan? He's like, yes. How about, how about like a 28, 29? <laughs> and he's like, you know what? He still got some more time for that. <laughs> but like, you know, I was like, okay, he's a Michael and me, and me being his teammate and being able to get the information from Scott Williams, who won two championships with Mike, you could kind of start seeing, like, yo, he is different. But we had we were just fortunate enough to see it every day where we got used to it. The outside world wasn't used to it, you know? Mm. Hey, Drew, you know what? And you, Since you've been watching LeBron since he was 15, are you amazed at how this young man, or man now, has worked on his game to see his body just fill out the way it has become to be. I mean, he's a, you know, I always say that Larry Bird was the hardest player for me to ever have. I'm so glad I've never had to play against LeBron James because it would have been difficult. Listen, uh, his development, just get back to his development. I mean, when I was with him in his early on years, he didn't really lift weights. Uh, You know, he didn't really take training serious like that. I mean, he was a, a phenom. I mean, this man was a, a real superhero. He is a superhero. And uh, I think when he first started taking things serious is when he got with Mike Mancius, who was, I believe, an intern at the time with us in in Cleveland. Wow. And it all started like this. Uh, LeBron James needed somebody to go stretch him out before, the, before practice off on the side. Mike Mancius was the guy. Fast forward now, Mike Mancius, wherever you see a guy handling uh, LeBron James a water bottle, anything, mm-hmm. stretching him out, He's been in Miami with him. He's He's been back in Cleveland with him. Now he's in L.A. with him. So that's like his right-hand man. I think once he got with Mike Mancius, I think he started taking things a lot more serious and um, and, and getting his his uh, work ethic together because not only that, he's a competitive guy. I feel like he starts seeing what other guys are doing. If guys would not drink alcohol for a whole season, LeBron James doesn't drink alcohol for the entire season. You know what I'm saying? So he's a very dedicated uh, person. And but one thing I love about LeBron James is I played with many superstars. When he comes into the room, the energy goes up and it never goes down. Wow. You know, it's always on a it's always on a positive note. Um, and I think that's what makes him so much so much of a success story because if there's no teammate or ex teammate that does not want to play with LeBron James, they want to play with LeBron James. Mm. You know what, Drew, I'm glad you said that like that because that was exactly how Magic Johnson was. When Magic came yeah. into a room, I mean, it went up, man. And like you said, it it doesn't go down until that guy leaves. And sometimes 
their mystique over the team that they're around every day, even when they leave the room because of the standards he set, that volume stays up there. But, I mean, that's a great analogy or a way to, to say when them players like Magic, LeBron, I'm pretty sure Kobe was the same way. When them players come into the fold of a team, they just change the whole atmosphere. Yeah, and and then when they're missing, it you could you could feel it. I mean, when LeBron James, I um, clearly remember he missed like eight games in a row. I don't know how many won, like two and six. And that was the first time, Coop, I seen a double team. I was like, yo, I don't like this. Where you at, bro? <laughs> They're like, coming at you now. Know, now you know. I don't, how you know. Like, I don't know how you do this every night. Come back now. <laughs> There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Sports are slowly making its way back with the UFC, NASCAR, and soccer leading the way. Bet Online has all the best onlines for the upcoming matches this weekend. Need more? Bet Online has simulated NFL. NBA and UFC happening every day live for you to check out. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and all the best props in the business. Visit betonline.ag or use your mobile device and join now to receive your new welcome bonus and start playing today. Bet online, your online sporting book expert. Oh, talking about your playing days, Drew. Okay, you played for a lot of teams. You experienced a lot. Who's the toughest player you ever had to go against? Uh, offensively. Antoine, offensively. Antoine, Antoine Walker. Antoine right. Walker. Because he never ran the plays. Like he was a he was a he was a power forward. You know, like as a as a big man, you know he catches the ball. He's either gonna swing the ball to the sideline, go set a a pick away or go set an on-ball screen and run the play, dribble handoff. You're going to follow the rules as a big, right? Man, Antoine Walker would get a defensive rebound, push the ball all the way up, coast, almost coast to coast, and might pull it from half court. So he was really uh, you know, sporadic out there. You never knew what he was going to do. Uh, that cyber twine, all that, all that shimmy and shaking was real. <laughs> I, mean, I, I was like, because he, he had the size, he had the speed. Uh, he didn't have the athletic ability like to to go dunk, but his handle was just as good as any guard's handle that was out there. And I never forget. I mean, Antoine Walker almost had me and Paul Silas fighting in the at halftime about about not guarding him. And I was like, you know what? I'm a, I'm gonna lose both these battles tonight. So let me just let me just let me just fall back. But Antoine Walker, uh, to me, offensively, uh, was a uh, was a man to guard, but. I mean, of course, we play against guys like Shaq and Yao Ming, which, you know, that's like the Will Chambers and the Koreans yeah. in your time, you know. Uh, but to go against, man, Antoine Walker. The league changed so much over the course of your career, especially for a big man. I mean, that I just you, – you entered the league in 0203. By the time you're out of the league in 15-16, I mean, that's a different league, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I, and I survived. Like, I, I made a joke. I played five position in – positions and finish my my uh last position as a clap and five because i was on the bench as a backup center but what you call it uh, drew a clap and five a clap and five that's a position <laughs> <laughs> that's a new position in the league you know the big i didn't know center. that one <laughs> yeah but the backup center that leads the, uh, the nba and claps per possession you know like <laughs> that's a position on the team don't get it twisted you could be you make a lot of money being a clap and five so I was a, I was a clapping five my last year. They gave me four million dollars for being a clapping five. I was like, All right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you yeah. need a clapping three? I know a clapping three too. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, the positions the, the positions have changed, man. And I came in as a small forward, uh, played most of the majority of my career as a rugged power forward, like right. an Antonio Davis, Adonis Haslam guy. I had to bulk up and be that type of guy. Then that started to kind of fade away because the stretch four started spacing the floor. And, you know, the Don Nelson system, you could, it was tough to guard. And you could kind of see that, it, you know, guys like Antoine Jameson, Antoine Walker, those are stretch fours, yeah, which yeah. made it tough for me to guard. And, um, and Dirk Nowitzki, those guys. So the game started getting smaller. And I was – I came in the league as a tweener, which was a knock. But later on in my career, that's actually the best position you want yeah. is, a, is a tweener. You want a two-way guy like that that yeah. can is fast enough to guard threes and strong enough to rebound and play the four and shoot the three. So at, at the beginning of my year, that was a knock, which later on my career, that became a, a, 
you know, a want. That was a necessity that you want on your team. So I kind of was saved by the grace of who I already was before I got to the league. You know, I wasn't that rugged, powerful guy. I could always shoot threes and, and handle the ball right. and make passes. I mean, Coop, you see how I shoot yeah. now. You know what I mean? So I always had that, but I had to get in and, and, and do my job at that time, whatever it was, uh, you know, whatever the cause was. I mean, even in, in Milwaukee, I was the center. When Andrew Bogut, Bogut broke his ankle, I played center the rest of that year. and That was the only times in my career I had two triple doubles. I mean, like, I started at the center uh, position before. I started at a backup center position. So it's become a positionist league, I feel like, and all the, the knocks – of uh, uh, back in the day is actually good now, mm. and all the stuff that was actually good back in the day, where you needed two bigs to win a championship, is not the system anymore. And you're starting to see that shift right now. But don't get it twisted. All it takes is one player, or maybe you know, one player like a Shaquille O'Neal, a Yao Ming, to come back into this league to where it's going to force you to have to play big once again. Because yeah. think about it, Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, the whole shoot around was not about uh, Shaq and Kobe. It was about how are we going to stop Shaq? Yeah. Guys like Scott Pollard. Guys like Scott Pollard had a job in the NBA um, just to guard Shaq and lead and, and to foul Shaq six times, especially in the playoff series. When Shaq retired, Scott Pollard retired. <laughs> <laughs> the, the players left the league. <laughs> no, no, there's no use for them no, no more. You know, and it's sad to say. But I think eventually you're going to get a guy that, if you ultimately want to win a championship, you have to have a, this type of person on your team to guard that guy. Oh, yeah. The league has definitely changed. And I'm going to say this real quick just to add to what you said. Pat Riley said if you were a multiple player, positional player, you stayed on the court more. I'm like you, Drew. When I first came in the league, I came in as a small forward to back up Jamal Wilkes. When they traded Norm Nixon, I went to a shooting guard. And then when our backup point guard got hurt, I finished my career as a backup point guard. So – I feel where you're coming from. We're at the time in my show, Drew, where I it's called a lightning round. And I'm going to give you five questions, and I'm going to give you okay. a name of somebody, and you just give us – it could be a one word or give us a little bit about that person, okay? okay. Now, I know that you play piano. Okay. I know that, okay? So I'm going to have two, two words in there about the piano, okay? Nice. So first one is uh, you talked about LeBron James. Give me something else about him. LeBron James. Who? Comedian. Mark Cuban. <laughs> That's good. Barack Obama. The only person right now that can stop this madness. <laughs> That's good, Drew. Horace Silver. What was that again, Coop? Horace Silvers. He's a piano player, jazz piano player. Uh, oh, man, you, you, t- you, t- you threw me off on that one, man. <laughs> hey, 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 <laughs> I'm doing one. my I homework. I didn't know that one. Michael Jordan. The GOAT. And last but not least, Roy Williams. My father figure. AT. So I, I'm, I, wanna, I want you to expand on that Mark Cuban answer there. <laughs> I mean, you know, Cube is I, – I played with Dallas. You know, I got love for Mark Cuban, but, you know, Cube is an out-the-box guy. Uh, I'm an out-the-box guy, and, you know, I respect, you know, how his thinking. I hope he respects mine too. Yeah. Drew, talk about today's game with this COVID thing that really has affected the NBA and cut it short. Yeah. Um, and now that there's opportunity where they're going to start playing again, what are your thoughts about that? You know, I'm right here in or- – I'm in Orlando, so uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, one thing, the strategy of coaching is going to change. Uh, I, I believe you, no no body in the gym, there's going to be no noise as far as outside white noise, anything like that. You're going to be able to hear plays being called out, uh, you know, what guys are actually saying. It's going to be weird. So from a strategy standpoint, you're going to have to have a lot of play signals. You're going to have to switch it up a little bit. It's going to be some different type of – uh, you know, loopholes, I believe, just from a strategic point on winning a basketball game. But the mental part of, the, of being able to just forget the basketball, being in a bubble uh, for this time, I mean, it's, it, this decision actually has guys like, am I in or out? And the guys that's going to stay back, I mean, it's kind of looking at, they're kind of looked at as like, wow, you're not down with the team. So they got to kind of express their ways. 
Davis Bertans, who's uh, going to be a free agent uh, f- uh, for the Washington Wizards, one of the best shooters I've ever seen in my life, Poop, uh, is going to be a free agent this market. Uh, he decided to opt out and play in the bubble, and I, and I, don't, I don't blame him because they're, Washington Wizards are a bubble team to where are they really in uh, playoff contingency or are they just there for other teams to get ready, to beat up on them, to get ready for the real playoffs? You know what I'm saying? So it's a fine line. And he opted out to not play. Bradley Beal having issues with his shoulder, having a slight tear in his shoulder. He's uh, opted out not to play, you know. And I had conversations with Bradley Beal. Uh, does he want to play? Yeah. But he's hurt. He's injured right now. And to be injured in a bubble, because once you go in, you're in there. It's, it's tough. How do you do rehab in a bubble when you can't play? It's a lot of moving parts. I mean, I talked to Aaron Gordon uh, for the Orlando Magic the other day. He was like, you know, they, they knock on your door with a, like with a room service cart and say, hey, here's your food. <laughs> and you like, you got to take your tray back in and, and go to sleep type of deal. So yeah. it's going to wow. be a, it's, yeah, it's going to be some adjustment. It's going to be some type of adjustment for the players mentally. And I tell you what, yeah, it might be an asterisk on who wins this championship this year, but is it because of just the mental, uh, the mental uh, strength, the mental focus of it? Because you're not going to see a family, uh, the single men. Good luck, right? You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I mean, can you go to a restaurant? I mean, you're in a room and you're going to practice. In fact, I think they can go golf. I think that's the only thing. So I think the greatest thing out of this, besides somebody actually winning a championship, that these guys will be some great golfers because I, I think that's one activity that they, they, they are allowing them to do is to go out and golf all those Disney courses. So that's cool. But it's going to be tough. The mental part of it, the, the strongest team mentally is going to win this championship. Would put you, it that would way. You play? What I play uh, depends on my situation right. and, and my team. You know, from the outside looking in, as an OG, Man, you got money to be made. That's your job. Go handle your ninety day business. I we love already had Drew. 90... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We already had a ninety day break. We already had a ninety day break. Right. Go get your go go put in ninety day work. Your family's still gonna be there. Get next season going. Uh, but as a player, I don't know how it is behind co- closed doors because if I'm going to war with a team and I don't know the culture, I don't know the narrative on that team. I can't speak for that team. You know, so it's a lot of it's a lot of different moving parts in every everybody else's locker room where when you put yourself in as a player and you make a decision, it ain't for the outside players. And it's not for my opinion. It's for what the team is about. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's going to be the hard part, I think, to me, because I can, you know, you named a couple of players, but Avery Bradley, he's opting out because, you know, he has an underlying illness with his son back at home and he don't want to, you know, take that chance. So that would be difficult. But what this does to me, Drew, as I see it breaks down to the basic, the basic fundamentals of basketball. It's about mental basketball is a mental game, whether you're playing, whether we're in going through what we're going through now or before this. When you're tired, you play back-to-back, you travel. It's all about your mental awareness and the mental strength yeah. you have to come play that next yeah. game. So that's what it's about now. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, it's going to be teams like the Miami Heat, who I believe collectively has a strong culture, and they're doing the things, I think, outside the box where they're. I think they're going to be ready to play the Miami Heat. They have a lot of young guys that's ready to uh, prove uh, their self, and they have an opportunity to – to kind of get that Astro championship right now, but it's going to be teams like that. They're going to be dangerous and hell just to, just to be able to take that time off. I mean, it's going to, these guys are going to feel like they just been hit by a semi truck. Uh, their body's going to have to go through shock. And, yeah. and if somebody gets hurt, I mean, God forbid something happens to a superstar. I'm not going to say any names because I don't want to put that out there on them, but if it happens to a superstar, I mean, that team is depleted uh, yeah. completely. You know what I mean? And we all know which teams those are. So there's going to be teams that are mentally tough, in shape, and healthy, and can go through this 90-day process. They're going to come out on top. We'll be the champions. Drew, give me your top four teams that you think have a chance of winning it. Uh, Clippers, Lakers, Milwaukee, Miami Heat. That's good. See, I had the same three. I didn't have Miami, but you make a great point about them. Uh, You only need three, but that's – I mean – the internal culture of a team, the drive, those are stuff that you don't see from the outside looking in. Those are only things that the coach and the, the team can see. Especially yeah, with Miami. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But I just know from a culture standpoint and how those boys are rolling already, they're hungry. I mean, they, they, they want blood. 
some of these other teams, I don't know if they were really in it. I think like teams like Philadelphia 76ers, I, I, I mean, they had they were already having some turmoil right before this happened. You right. think that just goes yeah. away and it, you know, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Does that just knowing it's worse in a situation like that? Well, you never know. Maybe they needed a reset. You know, it may it could either go up or down for a team like Philly, but maybe they needed a break from each other and Ben Simmons is a different person and uh Joel Embiid is a different person. You you, you just don't know. So you're gonna have some wild card teams like that. Houston Rockets is another wild card team. Uh, where they I playing? Think OKC. Great. I think OKC going to fool OKC. OKC is good too. Um, because yeah. they got a lot to prove. I mean, they're under. That's an under. You know, that's an undervalued, under the most underrated, undervalued team. And what yeah. they've done is they're they're like the comeback team of the the whole yeah. season from where they started. And Chris Paul just digging in and forget. I'm I'm doing my work here. I don't care where it's at. I'm gonna do my work here. I'm yeah. gonna win and be an all star. I, I love it. I love it because I had the conversation with Chris Paul before the first game we played him in D.C. And I said, hey, man, because I've been hearing the stories, you know, about him maybe getting bought out, going somewhere else, Toronto, whatever, Kyle Lowry. And I said, hey, man, I, I think you can really turn this thing around, man. You can. You can turn this around. And he's like, man, appreciate it, appreciate it. And sure enough, man, it, it was like he already had it set on the – he already – I didn't have to have that conversation with him. Mm -hmm. He already carried – he already had that plan in effect. And it's coming – it's starting to come – you know, come to life right now for them. So I'm, I love OKC. Only team with four almost twenty point scores on the team. So they uh they're gonna do some damage. But like I said, I don't want to. I don't bet against the Patriots, and I don't bet against LeBron James. <laughs> well, hey, listen, the Patriots are done, so you can bet against. <laughs> oh, okay. well, let me say Belichick then. Belichick. <laughs> okay. All right, Drew. You got to pick a champion. Pick one. All right, my champion will be the Los Angeles Lakers. Okay, thank you. We still getting good, good, good. Music. And I ain't saying that, Coop, because you here, Coop. I ain't saying that. <laughs> oh, my God. You would have edited Coop. that out of the podcast if you didn't say the Lakers. Uh, you know what? I wasn't even thinking about that. I'm like, oh, my. I'm glad I said Lakers. Kareem's over his head right now. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Drew, um, you, keep up, uh, you keep in touch with your um, – your your Finnish or Finland uh, culture heritage? Absolutely, I try to take a trip every other year. Now that my kids are are uh, getting older, uh, too bad of this COVID nineteen stuff, man. Because yeah. I was really planning on make uh, taking a trip out there this summer to actually uh, take a trip to the farm. My mom grew up on a farm in Finland. Uh, oh. My dad played professional C, excuse me, professional basketball overseas in Finland. You get the rest of the story. Can you speak it? <laughs> What did you say? I counted to 10 and I told you to sit your ass down. <laughs> Last thing, Drew. Hey, listen, my wife's from Sweden. Who's Sweden? So I'm trying to get my stuff together. Oh, I didn't know that. It's similar, similar language almost, but you could tell when, uh, uh, you know, the Swedish, when they talk, they look the same. The people yeah. look the same, but you could tell the different dialect. See, Finnish, the, the Finnish language is uh, more related to like uh, uh, Estonia, Latvian, and kind of yeah. originated almost from the German language, but then it, it transferred to something else, man. It's, it's letters like, I mean, I'm talking about as long as your head, Coop. That you cannot. <laughs> Listen, Drew, the only, only thing I know how to say in Swedish is hello. Hello. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi and goodbye. Hello. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's all you need to know. <laughs> Last thing, Drew. You know what? This COVID really affected something that bothered me a lot. You see, I got my Three's Company shirt on. I baby. see you represented. Three, I see you represented. The, the big I three. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, man? You know what? Uh, the more I look at it, uh, my son actually asked me not too long ago, "Dad, you playing the Big Three this year?" And I'm like, "We we not we not playing this year, son." And I was looking forward to it again. Uh, you know how I am, Coop. I'm a competitive guy. I like yeah. to have fun. Win or lose, I'm going to, you know, shake everybody's hand and just get to the next one. But this, the joy of my kids being able to see me still play basketball, uh, I think, was an honor. And Nancy Lieberman brought that up. She was like, you know, this is an opportunity for you guys to play once again in front of your kids. And I was like, wow, I didn't think of it like that. You're absolutely right. And you know, I, I look at it, Coop, the big three is like the, the senior PGA tour mixed with the WWE. <laughs> <laughs> you 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? You, you know what? I absolutely love coaching in that because it's it's still that professional atmosphere, but it's uh, um, and the competitive nature is still there, the physicality, but it, it's just fun. And you know what? That camaraderie that you miss from being a a, a, a real basketball player I mean, as far as in the NBA, I have a tendency to get that back being around you guys. And you know what? The AT, our team is Three's Company. And uh, we have so much fun, but when the when the light switch turn on, is when we all come together. And even though I'm yeah. the coach, it still feels like I'm in there with the guys. And you know what? The one thing I love about Drew is Drew is a hell of a coach. How come you're not coaching in the NBA? You know, uh, every I need some time, and I just jump out those flames, man. I need some time. <laughs> I'm waiting for all my homies to be GMs right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what? I need I need a little bit more time, too. But uh, to get back to that big three, though. Let me tell you, man, um, and you my coach. I'm tell you right now, when I first started, I was like, oh, this must be like a charity event. Um, like, you know, we just go around and it's not, not going to be physical. These guys are not going to be playing hard. You know, I'm just going to go out here, shoot a couple jump shots and get on to the next city. And Coop, I like what makes us all who we are. All it takes is that one play. And then it's like we, we back – we all – it's game seven of the NBA finals out there on that court. Tell them, Coop. Yeah. I mean, you see all the personality. You see what make who – you know, why this guy played so long in the NBA. Why is he so aggressive? Why? You can tell you, – you see all of that. And it's lovely. It's refreshing because you, these guys are competing, man. They're not going out there half-assing it. They're competing at a high level. And uh, and I, I tr- I'm a competitor, and Coop, you know that you're a competitor, yeah. and and I and I love it, and I enjoy you coaching us, man. Because honestly, Coop, you one of the most laid back, coolest coaches I ever had. I was wondering where you was at when I was in the NBA, man. <laughs> and you know your stuff, and you know your stuff, and uh, it's always an honor. Uh, it's always an honor playing with you, man, and, and being affiliated with Mr. Cooper, man. Thank you, Drew. Thank you. Yeah. You've been listening to Showtime with Coop Podcast, our special, special, special guest, Drew Gooden. Drew, listen, you take care of yourself, man. You will be down in the bubble. Will you be calling games? I'm in my bubble right now, so I'm right here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in my bubble here. Now, I I don't know yet. It's still up in the air on calling the games. We still have some logistics uh, to go over because just like the uh, the bubble there, you know, uh, I don't know – if everybody knows that that I I'm a sports analyst for NBC Sports Washington, so I call the Wizards games, the Washington Wizards basketball games, along with Justin Kutcher. So we uh we have a plan right now to go back to DC and kind of call the games in studio, but we just got to figure out some logistics on just the testing and if everybody's been tested and mm-hmm. you know you know just you know all the protocol of just making everybody safe, man. Well, stay safe, my brother. But hey, yeah. all right. No, I appreciate it, and uh, it's always great to talk to a Jayhawk legend. So, uh, rock chalk, Jayhawk, Drew. Rock, rock, rock chalk. I'm loving the hat, bro. I'm loving the hat. Yeah. Oh, Lobos, let's go. <laughs> what? The Lobos? Oh no. I, I'm on. Can I can I turn this off now? <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, Drew. Thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate everything, brothers. All good, Coop. Let, let me know whenever you need me, man. <laughs>